Well, God is great. In fact, great is one of the, if not the, most used word in all of Scripture to describe the God that we are worshiping this morning. Um, And I believe the simple truth, a truth that we can build on, that we can trust in, that we can lean into, especially when we are discouraged, when we feel overwhelmed, threatened, uh, surrounded, is the greatness of God. If you just kind of look in the, the Hebrew songbook, the book of Psalms, um, and I, by no means is this an exhaustive list. I had to kind of uh, cut it down at some point because that, that word great appears over and over again as, as the psalmist just lifts up the name of God. In Psalm chapter, in the fifth Psalm, the, the seventh verse, his mercy is great. 17 verse 7, his love is great. 21 verse 5, his glory is great. 31 19, his goodness is great. 36 6, his justice. That's great. 47 verse 2, he is the great king over all the earth. 48 1, great is the Lord. 51 verse 1, he is a great God of compassion. 66 verse 3, great is his power. 69, 16, his mercy is great. 71, 19, he is a God who has done great things. 76, 1, his name is great. 86, 10, for you are great and you do marvelous deeds and you alone are God, the psalmist writes. 86th Psalm, verse 13, great is your love toward me. 92 5, how great are your works. 95 verse 3, for the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And Psalm 145 verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness. No one can, you don't even, we don't even have an idea. And we put the word out there, we don't even know what that means. He, his greatness so far exceeds our ability to comprehend. So God is great. Um, and one of the reasons that we gather in this sacred space every Sunday morning, one of the reasons that this time is important is that we join our voices together and we remind each other that God is great no matter what's happening in our lives, in the life of our community or family, in the life of our nation, that God is great. And so we gather as a family of God, we worship Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we proclaim together, God is great. And this matters. This matters very practically to us in our lives. Because this morning, we're going to begin a new series called Greater Than. And the idea here is that for sure, we know that each one of us is going to face challenges in life. Difficulties in life, some of which are common pretty much to all human beings. Like at some point or another, you're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel uh, 
some bitterness perhaps. You'll feel some, some division between you and other people. You may experience some apathy. All of us certainly experience fear from time to time. And because of that, it's good to be reminded, A, of God's greatness, and B, how does that play into the struggle that I face right now in my life? So say with me, let's, this is a wake-up call for 8 a.m. church. Pay attention here, and let, let's proclaim this together. God is greater than anything I face. Try that again. That was great, by the way. God is greater than anything I face. Amen? Yeah. Now, how about this? God is greater than anything I will face. Okay? It's clear in Scripture. There is nothing that you and I will face that is bigger than God. There is nothing that makes God shake in his boots. There is nothing that makes God chew his fingernails, all right? There's nothing we face that is greater than God. And so if I put, like the alternative, right? If I put my trust and my faith in myself, well, I'm kind of in trouble, aren't I? If I, however, choose to live by faith, walk by faith, trust in the one who is greater than anything I face today or will face, then I will overcome. I will overcome in his name. The psalmist, this is a beautiful, beautiful idea here. In Psalm 44, verse 5, the psalmist wrote these words. Through you, we push back our enemies through your name, we trample our foes. Through God, we are victorious. And let's, let's read this out loud, if you would. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we triumph our foes again. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. Do you believe that? You can believe that. Because God is greater than you and greater than anything you will face. Now, one of the greatest foes that we face, and this is one that is getting more epidemic than ever, is the foe of, of, of loneliness. So many feel alone today. Stephen Marsh wrote a wonderful, a long, beautiful piece in the Atlantic about this epidemic. And this is one of the things he said. He said, today, we meet fewer people. We gather less. When we gather, our bonds are less meaningful and less easy. Emily Smith wrote, over the last 50 years, while society has been growing more and more prosperous and individualistic, our social connections have been dissolving. She continued, we volunteer less, we entertain guests less often in our homes, we are getting married less, we are having fewer children, 
although you wouldn't know that this morning, we have fewer and fewer close friends with whom we would share the intimate details of our lives. We are denying our social nature and paying a price for it. She says, over the same period of time that our social isolation has increased, our levels of happiness have gone down while rates of suicide and depression have multiplied. So yes, one of the greatest foes that people face today is the foe of loneliness. Today, according to surveys, 40% of Americans say they are lonely. And this may not sound so significant, except that in 1980, it was only 20%. Huge increase. Huge increase. And we know it hurts to be lonely. We know it's really, it's agonizing. But this week, as I was kind of researching this, I found out it's also lethal. There are actual health detriments from loneliness. The elderly, for example. Elderly folks who don't have adequate social interaction are twice as likely to die early. Wow. Another note. The increased mortality risk... Listen to this one. The increased mortality risk from loneliness is comparable to smoking and twice as dangerous as obesity. Loneliness impairs immune functions, boosts... uh, boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, diabetes, and heart disease. Interesting stuff, right? Not scary. Now, here are some of the most common contributors to loneliness. Some of these are more modern. Some of these have been around forever. Um, Some of the more uh, common contributors to loneliness, this is on your outline this morning, the first blank you can fill in there is aging. Aging. Um... And yeah, part of this is your friends, your social circle begins to literally die off, okay? But, but that's not really the main reason aging is such a problem today. Today, it's a problem because the role of the elderly within communities has been drastically changing over the past few decades. We all know this. Um, traditionally, the aged have occupied a hallowed place in culture. They are the repository of of community customs, of history, and of our stories. And now, this role is much less valued. And as this shift has been taking place, guess what? Older people feel more and more marginalized in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their own families, and even in their churches. Well, another cause um, or contributor to loneliness is death and divorce. You know, you lose a spouse, you lose a mother, you you lose somebody that you care about very much, someone that you have been leaning on for decades, and all of a sudden that void is there, or divorce as well. 
Um, social media is the next one. Now, you may be saying, what? I, you know, social media should like help, you know, should, should help us not be lonely. But it's interesting. It's kind of a weird one on this list, but you'll see it in about any, about anybody who talks about loneliness today is going to talk about the role of social media, right? Um, we should be more connected than ever, but the research doesn't back that up. And there's a lot more research being done all the time. And study after study is demonstrating that instead of being more connected with other people, we are becoming less connected by real-life social ties. And I'm a big fan of social media. I am. Uh, I'm not about to get rid of my Facebook or my Twitter or my Instagram. I think it's a good thing. I do. Um, It's just that it becomes for some people a substitute for face-to-face friendships. And a lot of research is being done. Researchers have been calling this, in fact, since the early 1990s, just as the Internet was really starting to to take off, um, researchers have been calling this the Internet paradox. Okay? And the, the idea is that you would think we're getting more connected. The reality is, as the Internet has taken off, we're getting less connected. We feel less connected. I won't bore you with statistics here. But basically, here's what, what's happened. The hyper-accessible new te- technologies have drawn us more and more into this world of surface-level connections with other people. At the very same time, they have made it much easier to avoid the messiness of real relationships, of, of deep relationships with other people. We're able to manage and cultivate our relationships and protect ourselves from the messiness that used to be inevitable when we were having relationships with, with, with other people face-to-face. Bottom line, bottom line is this. In the age of Facebook, texting, and Twitter, and all the new tools that are popping up all the time, the trend is people are getting lonelier. Here's another one. May not have ever thought about this, but what about commuting? Commuting. Commuting to work on the, on the dart or in your car or whatever. It's one you wouldn't normally think of right away, but it's a real contributing factor to the growth of loneliness in our culture. Long commutes are a real predictor of social isolation. There's a guy from Harvard you may have heard of called Robert Putnam. He's a professor. And he has noted that statistically, every 10 minutes that you spend commuting results in 10% fewer social connections. Interesting. And then the final one on the list this morning, there, I'm sure there's a lot more, but the final big contributor here is affluence. Affluence. Um, in America, our affluence, our, our wealth, has gone up, And right beside it the entire time, our sense of loneliness has has gone up. Stephen Marsh makes the point that even though this is so interesting, his point here, he says that even though we think we hate loneliness, one of the first things that we do with our money is seek loneliness. With money, we flee the cramped city and move out in the spac- into the spacious environs of large homes in the suburbs 
We spend more time in our cars. We are able to use technology to manage and limit interactions with others, believing that we are simplifying our lives. And so more than ever, even some of these good things have become a part of the cycle of loneliness in our culture. Um, We're haunted by feeling alone more than ever. Um, Didn't want to bring down the room too much with these quotes, but here's one that really just just got me. Some of the quotes that people had about, about their loneliness. Stephen Levithan in Every Day wrote this. He said, it would be too easy to say that I feel invisible. Instead, I feel painfully visible and completely ignored. Loneliness hurts. It's a burden so many carry. And even though we are seeing more and more of it today... It is certainly not a new thing. And I think about King David. So many centuries ago, he's a man that, that in some senses had it all. Um, but he's a man who knew what it was like to walk through the valley of the shadow of loneliness. One of his psalms, Psalm 42, was written at this period when he felt all alone. Um, The background for this, he's being pursued by by Saul, the king, who was reigning at that time. Saul is trying to to kill David. David is is away from his web of of family and connections and home. He's on the lamb, so to speak. He's been in Philistia. Remember, he had killed Goliath, who was a Philistine. Well, he ends up hiding out in Philistia because he's more afraid of Saul than he is of the Philistines in order not to be killed there because he gets made... In the city of Gath, Goliath's hometown, he gets made there, and so, and to prevent them from killing, he acts like he's completely crazy. It's kind of an interesting story, like foaming at the mouth and raving, and so, so they think he's, we're not going to kill a crazy person, right? Well, he ends up, he leaves there finally, because things get pretty tense there, he ends up in a cave, the cave of Adullah, living in a cave with, with some of his soldiers And it is really interesting, in this moment of loneliness, David isn't alone. You don't have to be alone to feel lonely. In fact, there are a lot of people packed into this cave at Adullah. Um, But the people who were around him, well, they were just a collection of misfits People who were living on the margins. People who were at wit's end. People who needed. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2 says, All those, listen to this description of these people who were coming to David. All those who were in distress or debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their leader about 400 men were with him that's not a very uplifting group it wasn't like a yeah look at us Woo! it's like a giant AA meeting or something I mean really people are just hurting we're coming to him and that's beautiful yeah but for him as the leader you talk about 
Talk about draining, soul emptying. And so he experiences loneliness when he's surrounded by people. Um, He's crowded in by the desperate, by the needy, by people who are wanting, wanting, wanting. They weren't people in whom he could confide. They weren't people who were charging up his batteries. They weren't people who were encouraging him. And so he felt even more alone. And here is the psalm that pours from David in the cave at Adullam. Psalm 142. David says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before Him. I tell Him all my troubles. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. You hear that? That's a lonely cry. And then I pray to you, O Lord, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. For you are good to me. It's a lonely man. It's the confession of a man of faith as well. Of one who understands the dynamic at work. God is greater. God is greater than me. God is greater than the persecution I feel and the loneliness I feel. And if you are in a lonely place, I believe that David gives you a pathway forward in Psalm 142. And everyone has felt these emotions. Everyone has felt these emotions before. The good news is that not only, not only does, does God kind of, in this psalm, walk us out of the prison of loneliness, He shows us how to manage it when we're there, when we're just there. And the first thing that David does, and the first thing that I believe by proxy kind of he invites us to do, number one there on the outline, is express your pain to the Lord. Express your pain to the Lord. I mean, I think sometimes loneliness is like the big L, right? I mean, it's like, no, I, no one can know that I feel this way. I, I can't share that with anybody. David publishes the words of his song, I cry out. Verse 1, I plead for the Lord's mercy. Look, the God you serve... <laughs> The God you worship, He knows you. He knows what you're experiencing. There is nothing you're going to tell God that is going to surprise Him. And I appreciate what David does here because he lets us know that it is okay, it is even healthy to to be honest to God, right? I mean, we don't have to pretend that we are okay 
when we pray, when we worship, when we share, because he shared this with others too, obviously, published it in the psalm, we don't have to pretend that we're okay. You can be vulnerable. You can be real. You can say, God, here I am. And when I come to worship you, when I come to pray before you, I'm not just bringing the squeaky clean, hyper-religious, got-it-all-together, or at least I look like I do person. I am being real. I'm bringing all that I am, all of my baggage, when I come before you, Lord. David says, hey, God, I'm struggling. I'm crying out. I'm pleading. And his life, especially his inner life here, it's kind of ugly. And he just pours it out before God. And I think sometimes, maybe we don't mean to do this, but sometimes we have these kind of hyper, I don't know what to say, hyper churchy maybe versions of ourselves where we, use, we, we heavily filter our words and our expressions on our faces. And when we talk to God or when we come to church, um, but speaking for myself, the real Gordon isn't neat and having it all together all the time and always, honestly, all this spiritual. The real stuff is there in my life. The real me has stuff. Plumbing problems, uh, going on, bills that need to be paid, sicknesses in the family. Um, the real Gordon occasionally carries around some resentment, some bitterness, some anger, some loneliness. And one thing I love about the Psalms, one thing I cherish about the Psalms, the worship literature of ancient Israel is that it makes the Psalms make it very, very clear, crystal clear, that I don't need to leave the real me at home when I come before the Lord and I bend my knees in prayer. And God is greater than anything I'm facing. He can handle whatever I bring to Him, whatever you bring to Him. So David shares these intense feelings, not good feelings, intense feelings of sadness and loneliness and nobody cares. He shares all that before God's throne. And then he shows us that the path forward involves, this is the second thing there, express or expose, explain your emotions with words. Now he's kind of journaling here. He's, he's writing all of this down. He says, I pour out my complaints before him. I tell him all my troubles. David is a writer, okay? Um, he actually puts his emotions down on paper, down on papyrus. They're recorded for us. But let's not forget that in the beginning, the first person to see all that David was pouring out and writing down on paper was David. David was the first person to see and process what David was writing down. So I think it's important to find a way to articulate what you are going through, what you are experiencing and feeling. And it may be sharing with a mature friend or family member, brother and sister in Christ, or maybe you just journal it. A lot of people find a lot of benefit there. But whatever the case, um, the journey to wholeness, the journey into God's greatness and God's goodness, part of that is putting words 
to what you are experiencing. And then number three, very important. Enjoy the Lord's presence. Enjoy the Lord's presence. After just kind of bearing his soul, David says in verse 5, I pray to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. So there in the cave of Adullam, struggling, lonely, he declares, God, you're with me. You're my refuge. And if you aren't a believer, this will sound like total spiritual mumbo-jumbo to you, wishful thinking, but if you are a believer, you know this reality to be true in your life. God is with you no matter what you face. You sense his presence. No matter where you are, and no no matter what foe you find yourself up against, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are never alone. Okay? Now, you may feel alone, okay? You may feel alone, but you are not alone. God is with you, and we hold on to that. We hold on to that. We seek his presence in our pain, just like David did. Listen to what David wrote in another place, another great psalm. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12 David writes, I can never escape your spirit. Okay? I can't get away from you, God. I can never get away from your presence. If I, and he's thinking hyperbole here, if I go up to heaven, you're there. Obviously, right? Well, if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, the other side of the world, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. If I could ask the darkness, so depressed, so lonely, you know, if I could ask the darkness to just kind of hide me and the light around me, it all becomes night. But even in darkness, even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Loneliness casts this long, dark shadow over the soul. But even in darkness, you are not hidden from God. His presence, whether you are aware of it or not, whether you feel it or not, His presence is there. Look for it. Enjoy it. Celebrate it even when you're in in the darkness, in the pain. And as followers of Jesus, we have a very special promise The last thing Jesus ever said, in fact, according to Matthew, in Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, Be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm there, I'm with you. So here's what this means, and I'll write this down on your outline this morning. I think this is a very important truth to remember when you're passing through that shadow of loneliness. 
I may be lonely, but I am not alone. I may be lonely, but I'm not alone. Folks, the Lord is greater than loneliness because His children understand and appreciate and enjoy that He is right there with them, even in the cave of loneliness. Number four, another part of the pathway forward. Number four, expand your involvement with God's family. Okay, I think this one's a little bit of a no-brainer. I mean, obviously, deeper relationships are part of this. Um, expand your relationship with God's family. David, as he's finishing up, he says this according to the message in verse 7, your people will form a circle around me. Your people will form a circle around me. May be kind of obvious, but I think it's important sometimes, especially when we get overwhelmed by negative emotions and feelings and our foes, to be reminded of some of the obvious truths that we know to be true. Um, one of the ways that the Lord ministers to us, His people, is to knit us together into this family of sisters and brothers, and He Himself is our Father God. David said in Psalm 68, verse 6, that God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in family. That tells me a couple of things. It tells me, one, God knows. He sees that you feel alone. It tells me that God cares. He's concerned about that. Why does it tell me He cares? Because He does something about it. So He sees that I'm alone, that I feel lonely. He cares enough to put me into a family. Now, Preston Christ is a family, and some of us are lonely. Some of us are struggling. Some of us, frankly, are doing great, okay? You're great right now. You don't feel lonely at all. Awesome, okay? Life is lining up for you, and that's a great thing. We have people at all different points along this spectrum, but we are a family. We are in it together. God has set us up as a family here in North Dallas, and David says that the people of God form a circle around him at his moment of loneliness. So two very important things. Kind of two sides of the coin here. First, you've got to take some initiative, okay? You've got to take some responsibility. Just hiding out and pining away that nobody cares, that nobody notices, um, that's not really very helpful, um, so if you aren't involved, if you feel like you don't have a place here at Preston Crest, take some initiative, really. I mean, walk out of that cave, connect to one of our connections. This is where church happens here at Preston Crest, one of these connections. All flavors, all stripes, all age ranges. Some of them are just a jumble of different ages. And diff but find, a, find one of those, and if, you, if you've tried one, I mean, go to try different ones. Or go to a small group throughout the week where 10 or 12 people are gathered together, get to know each other on a deeper level, praying for each other, kind of sharing uh, with each other each week. One of the small, or a ministry. I mean, some of the most powerful small group experiences, um, family experiences we have at this church are people who have been partnering together doing ministry with children's ministry or youth ministry or you know, different ministries that are going on at this church. So that's an important thing is to take the initiative to realize I've got to do something here. Okay? 
And the second thing is a call to all of us. Since we are a family, let's look out for the lonely. Let's pay attention. Let's be alert. Keep our fingers on the pulse of what's going on in the family, of who is, who's kind of disappeared, of who's kind of hurting. Because we need to take care of each other if we are a family. Send a note to one of our senior Christians who may be homebound, may physically not be able to get out of the house, or give them a call or arrange a time to go by and visit them or pray with them, or Isla and I used to go by and play skip bow, play cards, dominoes, um, hang out with them. Beyond that, let's just make a pledge to each other that we're going to keep an eye out for each other. And we're going to make this a place where people who are discouraged get encouraged. We can do that because God put us together. He He knew what he was doing, okay? He put us together to build each other up. And you may think, um, well, I can't call or visit or check up on this person because I don't know them very well. Okay, A, (laughs) that could be an excuse for you. I don't know them well, so I'm not going to check up on them. Or B, that could be a motivation. I don't know them that well. I need to reach out. I need to know this brother, the sister, a little bit better, right? Um, and, and this is a whole other sermon that I will not start right now, okay? But there's a sermon to be preached. Yeah. <laughs> there is a sermon to be preached just about the dinner table. Just go through the book of Acts and look at how the dinner table was a center of ministry. I think more than the temple courts or more than the synagogue, the dinner table, people gathering around a table, breaking bread together. Um, but yeah, save that for another time. So Christian hospitality is a big way that, pe- that God works and leads people out of loneliness. It is where his love and grace are experienced in a tangible, life-giving way um, from Acts 2 until today. And finally, if you believe that God is greater than your loneliness, and if you walk by faith, then, number five this morning, you expect wholeness to come. You expect wholeness to come. And God's people need to be a people who expect things to happen. We believe that God is at work. We believe that He has not retired We believe that he hears our prayer. We walk by faith that God is alive and that he is active and we are partners with him. We expect that wholeness will come. David, at the end of this rant from the message in verse 7, he says, you'll bring me showers of blessing. David is expecting things are going to change. God's not going to leave me here where I am. And this is the confidence of a man who believes, really believes, that his prayers do not go unanswered. He is expecting, anticipating a move of God. So God is great. He is greater than any struggle that you face. His power and his love, though, are locked up 
and tamped down when we don't pray expecting. When we don't worship expecting. When we don't read scripture expecting the move of God. And it may take a while for you to develop this. A dead religion expects nothing from God. It just goes through the motions. Living by faith is a belief that God is at work. And if you need to begin that journey of trusting more and more, you can do that. It's okay if you need to grow in that area. All of us do. You can decide today that you're going to begin to actively believe that God is actually at work in your life, that he hears your prayers, that he answers your prayers, and that he has, as David prayed, he will release showers of blessing into your life. Now, the most important way to connect with this God who is greater than loneliness, greater than all of your foes, the number one way to connect with Him, the way, really, the only way to connect with Him is through Jesus Christ. Um, so are you ready to confess Jesus as Lord? Are you ready to be baptized into Jesus, turning the rest of your life into a journey of obedience and a journey of faith. You can do that this morning. Maybe you just need prayers this morning. However you need to respond, we invite you to do that. We stand together and we worship the name of our great God.